Welcome to UUCSW Reflections, a podcast by the Unitarian Universalist Congregational Society of Westboro, Massachusetts. We're glad you're here. It's part of our practice as Unitarian Universalists to light a chalice when we gather for worship. It's a symbol of our tradition, but one with ha- that has an incredible backstory. Before the 1960s, when we, when we merged, the Unitarians and the Universalists were two separate denominations. And during World War II, a, U- a Unitarian minister named Reverend Joy was the head of the Unitarian Service Committee. He was stationed in Lisbon, Portugal, with the express purpose of helping people flee the Holocaust. Many of the people who came into Reverend Joy's care had left home in the middle of the night, had lost everything, and didn't have travel papers, which they needed to pass safely through the British blockade and into safety. So, in an act of sacred lawlessness, Reverend Joy decided to start falsifying travel documents for refugees so that they, too, might travel or might have safe passage. But he decided these documents needed a seal of authority to make them legitimate. So together, Reverend Joy and an artist and Jewish refugee named Hans Deutsch created an image both reminiscent of a hearth fire and a communion cup. And it started with a seal of authority that has since become both the symbol of our religious tradition and our commitment to justice, to creative resistance, to love of neighbor that knows no bounds. The story Laurel shared in our chalice lighting isn't the only example of Unitarian Universalists assuming risk in the course of justice work. In the mid-1900s, some UU churches in the South did defer to the violence of white supremacy by disbanding or excluding non-whites in violation of UU values. But some didn't, and they faced consequences. Many lost their meeting space or drew the attention of the KKK, and in several tragic cases, UU ministers lost their lives as a result of holding firm to their beliefs in public. Before Roe v. Wade went into effect in the 70s, many UU ministers were part of the clergy consultation service. This was an underground network of faith leaders who provided assistance and access for those seeking illegal abortions. In practice, that mostly meant helping socially and economically marginalized people, because those with access were more likely to have doctors that would agree to classify their pregnancies as life-threatening. And it was legal, in some cases, to terminate life-threatening pregnancies. And therefore, those with that access were allowed to receive safe and sanctioned abortions. The clergy consultation service providers understood that the law compromised the safety of the marginalized in particular, and they broke this law together in a principled and organized way rooted in values of equity and care. A while ago, our congregation started to examine what social issues we care about. It turns out we care about all of them. We care loud and deep and big, and if caring was enough, we'd already live in the world we want. If we want to put that caring into action in the tradition of you used before us and beside us, and we want to move together, we should talk about how. And that requires understanding what risks we're collectively willing to assume in the name of what we care about. 
When the reproductive rights group attended trainings with Side with Love over the summer, we were gifted resources to help us think about various kinds of risk and share common language around them. Risk, defined as the potential negative consequences of an action or inaction, can be financial, legal, reputational, physical, emotional, psychological, or spiritual. It's important to remember that action and inaction both contain risk, such as the spiritual risk of failing to act in accordance with our moral convictions, which is called moral injury. The way we perceive risk is subjective, and it's affected by how our life experience has taught us to feel and respond to fear, both fear for ourselves and fear on behalf of those in our community. For example, trauma can impact how we assess the likelihood of certain consequences coming to pass, or privilege may have insulated us from exposure to over-policing and the legal system, rendering the concept of defying it in any way an amorphous and terrifying unknown. It's natural for individuals to have different levels of risk tolerance, which is the degree of risk someone can assume without experiencing significant discomfort, anxiety, or fear. Data analytics is one of many tools we have to understand groups of people, and so in the pursuit of gathering data around our shared risk tolerance, I put together a survey that will ask you, members of UCSW, to consider what types and amounts of risk you think we as a congregation should assume in the course of doing justice work. Once the data has been collected, I'll be analyzing it to understand what we agree and disagree on and where our average risk tolerance lies. You can find the survey at bit.ly slash risk scales, and it's also gone out over our email list. The survey presents seven scales from one to 10, each of which measures risk tolerance along a particular risk axis. In the chapel and during the live service, we went through two of these examples. I'm excited to see what the results are, and I will share them in a later service. So please remember to fill out this form and hit submit at the bottom of the page. And the URL again is bit.ly slash risk scales. Thanks for listening. For more information about what's happening at UUCSW or for ways to get involved, visit us online at uucsw.org. All are welcome.